Today is going to be the second part of a two-part series. We're reading from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, would you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Right, so today's part B of a two-part message, and we've been learning about growing in Christ, and growth in godliness and growth in righteousness always accompanies any growth that there is in Christ. But sometimes we can get shadow mixed up with substance. And here in Colossians, Paul is making us aware that there can be some pretty warped ideas around about godliness and there can be some very false portrayals of growing in Christ. So it gives the impression that you're growing in Christ, but it's false. And he began this section with the word, therefore. And I said last week, Wherever we see the word therefore, we need to ask the question, what's it there for? So why is it there? It's because just before this, he's told us that Christ is everything that we need. There is no benefit that can be gained by adding worldly wisdom to Christ and studying philosophy instead of Christ. And nothing we do can ever add anything of substance to the grace and the forgiveness that we've already received in Jesus. Our sins have been totally erased. Every record of wrong has been rubbed out. It's been nailed to the cross. And so if anyone ever criticizes a disciple of Jesus for not fulfilling all religious righteousness or for not keeping certain religious observances or for not denying ourselves enough so that we can gain the favour of God, or if they accuse us of not being spiritual enough, that means that they haven't grasped the full significance of the cross. The significance of the cross means that nothing has to be added. Nothing we do, nothing, nothing we try to achieve can add to what Christ has already done. Now, last week, we divided these false portrayals of growth in Christ into four categories, uh, but we only got through three of them. So the first category was religious showiness. 
And that's to make a big show of our religion, whether it be doing the right religious ceremonies or whether it be about observing the seasons on the religious calendar or whether it be about high church with all the smells and the bells and the ministers wearing their fancy garb and whatnot or whether it be the flashy concert atmosphere where we dim the lights. We don't need to dim lights today, do we? We dim the lights to let the Holy Spirit come because we all know the Holy Spirit doesn't like the sun. Um, right? It's all just religious showiness. The second one was legal showiness, where we try to give an appearance that I always do the right thing and I keep all of the right rules and I do all of the right regulations and, and I make sure that everybody sees that I'm doing the right thing. And then I expect that everybody else should keep those same rules and regulations. The third one was a big word that we don't use much and it was in the reading again today, asceticism. Asceticism is where we, we deny ourselves pleasures in life um, to try and gain the favour favor of God, right? So an example of asceticism might be giving up something for Lent, right? That would be asceticism, right? My, my grandmother used to love butter and so she wouldn't eat butter for Lent. Um, but it it's, can be about giving up anything, thinking that that is going to gain favour with God. And then we expect that other people should also be doing that. Well, you can't be a very good Christian because you're not giving up as much as what I give up. Right? So that's three false portrayals of, of godliness and growth in Christ that we covered last week. And now we come to the fourth one. Verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, delighting in asceticism, and we covered that last week, and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. What he's talking about now is having a, re a spiritual showiness, right? It's having the persona of, oh, I, I'm the spiritual elite. I've got an extra dose of the Holy Spirit that you don't have. Now, some folk are really attracted to that. They crave spiritual experiences as if having a supernatural experience is going to be the pinnacle of their walk with God. And then after they've had that experience, wow, that was so amazing. I've got to have it again this week. And, and, I've got to, and if I don't get that, that supernatural experience of God this week, then I'm going to feel really let down and crave it even more for the following week. And, and essentially what we become is spiritual junkies or always looking for the next fix of the Spirit. And so for those who are craving some kind of amazing experience week after week or even day after day, they're kept in good supply by people who put on a persona of being the spiritually elite. And this is how Paul describes them. He says they go on and on about visions and God spoke to me and he told me this and God told me that and and I had a vision and I saw this and and, and God has given a, a word to me for you and you need to listen to what I'm about to tell you now I want to be really clear here the Lord does give spiritual gifts 
And at times, he does give dreams and he does give visions. And we should never despise these. I am not a cessationist. Um, now, that's a word some of you probably never heard. A cessationist is someone who sees, I guess they're, they're fed up with seeing false demonstrations of the Holy Spirit, false prophets, um, false words from God, people making stuff up and pretending that it's from God, false miracles even. And some people get so fed up with seeing so much false stuff, they then decide, oh, it's obviously all false. And there's some folk who have come to the belief that, that some of these more out there spiritual gifts are finished. Now, I'm not a cessationist. And you know why? Because the scriptures are not cessationist. The scriptures don't tell us that the gifts are going to finish, at least not until Christ returns. Scriptures tell us that they will finish when everything is perfected. When's everything perfected? When Christ returns. But what they do tell us is that there's going to be lots of falseness that we have to guard against. And so we see false miracles, we see false prophecies, but we are not to write off everything because we know that sometimes God is speaking. And so the job of a Christian is to use another spiritual gift, which is called the gift of discernment, where we discern what is of God and what is not of God. But I think what Paul's describing here is a false image of having a superior form of godliness. Um, it's the attitude that you're an inferior Christian because you don't have the same experiences that I do. I remember there was a time when Robin and I went to a wedding. Um, th this was a really big weekend. We're living in Dolby and we're invited to a wedding in Caboolture on the Good Friday. And we're invited to a wedding in Longreach on Easter Saturday. Sorry, Easter Sunday, sorry. And we went to both of them. And it was a big weekend. Um, but we're at this wedding at Caboolture and most of the people we didn't know. But the table that we're sitting on, there's a lovely couple there. And um, usually we engage really well with Christians. But for some reason, this couple just, they said to us, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Oh, yes, we are. Oh, what does that mean for you? And so I sort of told them, you know, well, it means that I'm a Christian and I am filled with the Holy Spirit because I've asked God. And they, oh, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And they just went on and on and on about what it meant for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And because they could speak in tongues and they could do this and they could do that. And oh, you, you are so missing out. You really, really need to be able to do this. Otherwise, you're not, you're not filled with the Spirit. And it was a real downer. It was a real downer. Um, but it's that attitude that for some reason you're an inferior Christian because you've got different spiritual gifts to what I have. And they view that as you don't have spiritual gifts because you have to have the same as spiritual gifts as I do. And you would be a much better Christian. You would be a much more complete Christian. You would be a more spiritual Christian if you could learn to hear from God in the way that I hear from God. And, and they project an image of being super spiritual. 
going on and on and on about their visions and about their experiences of, of angels and whatnot. But how does Paul describe this? Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. The way that Paul's describing this is, is it's the exact opposite of what they're trying to portray. So they're trying to give an image, I'm more spiritual, and they go on and on, but they go on and on because they're puffed up when there is no reason to be puffed up. And it's not spiritual at all, it's of the flesh. That's what the word sensuous means. It means it's of the flesh. And, and in the Greek, the word there is sarkos. And when Paul uses that word in his writings, he's always using it as the flesh versus the spirit. He's saying this isn't of the spirit, this is of the flesh. You know, Paul himself, he had some amazing, amazing spiritual experiences. But you, do you notice that in his writings, he doesn't go on and on and on about these. There is one thing that he does go on and on and on about. I think he tells us several times about his conversion experience, about the time that he gave his life to Jesus when he was confronted on that road to Damascus. But he doesn't go on and on and on about his spiritual experiences. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about himself in the third person, right? That means, look, I know this bloke who was caught up to the third heaven, right? He's caught up into paradise. And this bloke, he heard things that he wasn't able to repeat. He's talking about himself, right? He's talking about himself in the third person. He's this bloke. And, and he didn't even know if he was actually there in heaven or whether he's dreaming it or whether he had it, was having a vision, right? It was so clear. I know this bloke. But, but then he says, although this is true, I'm not going to tell you about it because what's that going to do? That would just elevate me spiritually and make me conceited. You see, Paul understood that a spiritual man doesn't try and prove his worth by constantly telling everyone else of his own spiritual experiences. For Paul, the grace of Christ is the experience that we need to tell. We need to tell it over and over and over again. Being puffed up spiritually is a false image of growing in God. It's a false image of godliness every bit as much as empty religion is. And the danger is, is what it does is it leads a person to delight in the spiritual experience that they've had more than what we delight in Christ. And then it gives a false message to other Christians, you're an inferior Christian, you're missing something because you haven't had the same spiritual experience that I've had you're not spiritual enough. But Christ is everything we need. The fullness of God is in Christ. And by his Holy Spirit, Christ is in us. We are already one with him. And going on in detail about visions and being puffed up by our past spiritual experiences, that doesn't give us spiritual growth. It's a working of the flesh. And a working of the flesh 
disconnects us from Christ. Now, I want to clarify what I'm saying here. Having a spiritual experience is great, right? Um, there's times when I've had a dream from God. Not very often, but sometimes they happen, and you know they're from God. Um, having a spiritual experience is great, and we praise God that by His Spirit, He has, he has shown us something. And we praise God when we see His Spirit at work. But being puffed up about that spiritual experience and going on and on about that spiritual experience and telling everybody else about it over and over and over again and these days writing a book about it um, or expecting that other people should have the same spiritual experience that, as what you've had, that is not of the Spirit. That's of the flesh. And, and this is the sort of nonsense that Paul had to deal with in Corinth. In the church, when one group of people see themselves as being more spiritual, it cripples the body of Christ. And that's what it had done in Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, he, he chastises the ones who see themselves as the spiritually elite. And then he gives an image there in Corinthians uh, about how the church is a body, right? And a body is made up of many parts. We're not just a hand. We've got hands. We've got feet. We've got legs. We've got arms. We've got a head, right? We've, this is the body of Christ. And, and he makes it really clear about how every disciple of Jesus Christ is spiritual, and having particular spiritual gifts doesn't make someone more spiritual than somebody who doesn't have those spiritual gifts. Because God has arranged his body how he wants his body to be. And we don't all have the same spiritual gifts. This is the way he's designed us. I am deficient without you. And you are deficient without me. And the church, if, if, if parts of our bot, the body of the Christ aren't here, parts of the body are missing and the church can't perform how the church is supposed to perform. If we did all have the same spiritual gifts, we wouldn't be a body. And it's with this context in mind that he uses this exact same image here in Colossians in verse 19, where he tells us that those who are puffed up spiritually are disconnected from the head. Who's the head? Christ. Right? But when we as a church are connected to Christ, who is our head, that's when we as a body grow. Because as a body, we are nourished. How are we nourished? How are we nourished? By the word of God. We've been nourished this morning as we read those scriptures. And now as we, as we pray about them and, and, and let God teach us through those scriptures, we're nourished. And we as a body are knit together through its joints and ligaments. You chop a hand off, is that hand going to grow? No, it just withers and dies. We have to be connected to the body. 
and through its joints and ligaments and everything grows with a growth that is from God. Isn't that exciting? That's how God wants us to grow. That's his design, us together as a body. Now, church growth. Uh, we ministers and pastors always looking at church growth. Uh, it's a big topic. Um, every church wants to grow. Hey, who here wants to be part of a church that isn't growing? Put up your hand. Okay, now put up your hand if you want to be part of a church that is growing. Excellent. You want to be part of a church that is growing spiritually and you want to be part of a church that is growing in knowledge and love and you want to be part of a church that's growing in number. That's how we want to grow. I did a, a search on the Krong website for church growth and there are 1,609 products to choose from. Whew. Now you'd think we would have learned our lesson by now. Growth doesn't come from reading a book. Growth doesn't come from watching a video. Growth doesn't come from starting a new program or by any particular method, at least not godly growth. Godly growth occurs when we as a body are connected to Christ. And he is the one who knits us together and makes us grow. And everything we as a people of God should be doing is trying to be more and more and more connected to Christ and connected to each other in Christ. Let's move on. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, the, the point that Paul's making here is trying to project an image of godliness, that's actually a worldly thing. Right? If you're trying to give someone the impression that you're a godly person, that's worldliness. And spiritually, it's actually a temptation from the evil one. Right? He says here that it comes from the elemental spirits of the world. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the evil one. He's talking about demons. To grow in Christ isn't at all about showiness. Whether it be about showy religion, or whether it be about showy rule keeping, or whether it be about self-denial, or whether it be about having super spiritual experiences, none of those things will make us a better disciple of Jesus. And in fact, if we're chasing after these things, it will hinder our growth in Christ. You know why? Because if we're chasing after those things, that demonstrates that we believe that there's something we need to add to Christ. 
couple of weeks ago, we talked about how worldly wisdom and philosophy and whatnot doesn't originate from Christ. Its origin is human traditions, and those human traditions are influenced by the demonic. And now Paul is casting the net a bit wider to help us to understand that, that even within the church, this worldly way of thinking, and even within the church, the elemental spirits of the world, the demonic, are trying to shape and twist the traditions of the church. They're trying to point us towards religion. They're trying to point us towards rule keeping. They're trying to point us towards self-denial. They're trying to point us towards having super spiritual experiences. And what's the point of doing all these things? Why are the elemental spirits of the world pushing us to go that way? Why? Because Satan doesn't want you to be connected to Christ. And Satan doesn't want you to be satisfied with Christ and content with Christ. He doesn't want you being connected to Christ with the attitude, that's enough. Because the lie of the devil is you always have to add more. One of the biggest causes of marital divorce today is discontentment. Right? The, the husband and the wife mightn't be evil people. They, mightn't, they might get on okay and not fight a lot. But one of them feels something's missing. I need something more. So they go and have an affair somewhere. They're discontent. And they're so discontent with their marriage, they divorce. Obviously, they have no idea of what marriage really is. But some folk are like that with Christ. And some folk are like that with the church they're in. Now, the church might be all right. I get good teaching. But I want something more. There's got to be something more. Got to be more religion, more religious experiences, or a more godly atmosphere, whatever that is. Or more rule-keeping. Or more self-denial. Or more super spiritual experiences. They're wanting more. And they're discontent. What are they discontent with? What are we discontent with? If I'm not content with Christ and my salvation, I'm discontent with Christ himself. And to be discontent with the church is ultimately to be discontent with Christ because the church is his body. Remember verse 19 said, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Are you, are you getting this? I cannot grow by myself. I need to be connected to Christ. But I cannot be connected to the head without also being connected to the body. 
I cannot grow in Christ unless I'm connected together with the body because it's the whole body that is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. And that is how we grow from God. I'm just going to say this to, to, to the people who are listening to this online. If you are not connected with a local fellowship, I urge you to connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ because they need you so that you can grow in Christ just as much as you need them so that you can grow in Christ. Anyway, these substitutes for Christ, Paul says, are according to human precepts and teachings. Now that's an important phrase because in Mark chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus used that exact same phrase when he is quoting Isaiah chapter 29. Jesus was talking about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, he says, that they, they'll reject the commandments of God and they'll make up their own traditions and their own commandments. And, and as part of this, the Pharisees were getting up Jesus because his disciples didn't wash his hands properly. <gasps> Those nasty disciples, they wouldn't survive in these COVID times, would they? Hey, we've got to wash our hands. Um, but they weren't washing their hands and the Pharisees were getting up them about it. And Jesus' response was this, coming from Mark chapter 7, verse 6. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition, sorry, hold to the tradition of men. Right now, at this point, Jesus was specifically focusing on the religious rules. Don't touch this. Don't eat that. And yet all of these examples that Paul's been covering here of false godliness, they're all tied together. And so here Paul is talking about self-made religion and asceticism. And these things might give an appearance of wisdom but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We talked before about it being the Christian desire to see growth in the church, yes? It's also the strong desire of every faithful Christian to grow in Christ. And to, as we grow in Christ, to grow in all righteousness, and holiness is it not feel free to nod your head up and down or if you're confused scratch your head anybody scratching that i don't know if i'm keen to grow in righteousness and godliness we'll pray for you after the service but if the thing is if we try to achieve this through man-made religion if we try to achieve this through rules and regulations or through super spiritual experiences we're gonna fail and the reason we'll fail is because it's a heart issue. We've died to things of the flesh. We've been raised to new life. And Christ in us is enough. 
Are we agreed on that? Christ in us is enough. We've been saying this now for three or four weeks. I hope we all got this and understand it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you that Christ is enough. Lord, forgive us for our man-made religion, a religion of showiness, whether it be religious showiness or legal showiness or self-denial showiness and even for spiritual showiness. Lord, forgive us for this. Lord, your word tells us here that, that this sort of showiness disconnects us from the head, which is Christ. Lord, Christ is enough and we delight in Christ and we delight in him together with each other. Lord, help us as a church to grow as the body of Christ with a growth that is from God and for the glory of God. Amen.